0: Uh, Helen's just really helpfully read part one of three. There's more to come. We'll look at that. It's part of the Bible that in my home is affectionately known as Muddy. Muddy uh, was our firstborn who was about three and just had fallen in love with this story. Read Muddy. Read Muddy. Read Muddy. Uh, It's engaging. It's amazing. As we'll see, it's got its funny moments. It's extraordinary. But why would a few hundred adults... This morning, stop and actually give a good chunk of our Sunday morning to seriously consider this. Why is Jesus relevant? Well, relevance, I want to put to you, we have two categories of thinking of relevance. Number one, something is relevant if I feel like it's going to make a difference in my life. Number two, something is relevant because it will make a difference to my life no matter how I feel about it. Two different ways that we think of relevance. I want to put it to you that this week, more Australians would have connected with the news coming out of Hollywood, Will Smith, Chris Rock, yeah, than we connected with the news coming out of Canberra with a federal budget. You think I'm right about that? I think more people have seen a celebrity strife as more relevant to engage with and talk about, which really isn't going to change our life, Then a federal budget that will actually impact every household in Australia. It's two categories of relevance. When it comes to Jesus, I put it to you that most people in our community, they put him in that first category. You know, they say, I'm not a religious type, I'm not a spiritual type, so Jesus, Bible, church, irrelevant. Especially when the sun is shining for the first time in years on a Sunday morning... I am not coming to church, surely this is the most irrelevant thing that we are doing for most people on the coast. Here's the thing though, Jesus puts himself in that second category and claims to be the man who will make the biggest difference in your life regardless of how you feel about him. Why? Because he's going to say that without him... You are desperately blind. That apart from him, you exist in utter darkness. That's where this passage is going to take us. But just briefly, a little bit of context. We've called this series, as we work through week by week, I Am. Because in the Gospel of John, an eyewitness of Jesus, he records a number of great I am statements that Jesus makes and just back in chapter 8, we looked at it last week, he says this, he says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Now by that he's not saying I'm I'm like a bright star to kind of inspire you in the world for a moment, like Shane Warne. I don't know if you watched his view, wow, the man has clearly impacted so many people. It's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the source of all spiritual truth and therefore life. I'm not a light, a way to spiritual, I'm it. I'm the spiritual truth. Now, why would we believe that a man who swung a hammer, and that's nothing on trades but a man who swung a hammer back in Palestine is this man? Our only hope of knowing true spiritual light. Well, John chapter 9. The miracle of muddy, which I'm going to take us through in three parts, straightforward, here we'll get, we're going to see a great healing, a greater blindness and the greatest sight. Okay, that's where we're going but before we do I want to pause and pray and you might have noticed already... We take prayer seriously because we need God. We need his help, his strength, his insight. So let me pause and do that for us. Our Lord God, we do thank you for this morning. We do thank you for the freedom that we enjoy, the peace that we enjoy, that we could come together right now and consider this word, a word that has been faithfully recorded of Jesus and handed down so that in these pages we might come face to face with the Lord Jesus. That we might consider who he is and what he has to say. And so I would ask on our behalf that you would give us eyes to see him for who he truly is. That that then might lead to a right response in us, transformed lives in us, and honour to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first step, a great healing. We had it read to us. A man who has never seen a ray of light in his life. Never understood what it meant when people said your mum has beautiful brown eyes or people would talk about an amazing sunset or a delicious red apple. He's lived in complete darkness from birth. But his darkness is more than just the absence of of colour and sight. He has been an outcast. Uh, There's no social uh, support in the government. There's no NDIS. In fact, we learned that he's a beggar because he can't work. This man has had a very rough life and I want you to notice verse 1. We read, as he went along, he saw a man blind for birth. That's Jesus. As Jesus went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. This is Jesus' initiative, this whole thing. The blind man hasn't sought him out, friends haven't brought him to. This is going to become significant for us. Now, this prompts a question from Jesus' disciples to him. And we don't have time to dig into that. But it leads to the response and the repetition of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. I am the source of spiritual truth and life. How do you know? Well, then comes a great healing. Spit, mud, wash, see. That's how it goes, yeah? Quite amazing, just in a moment. This man has 2020 vision. Now look at the response of the neighbours, the first people to see this transformed man. Verse eight, they're divided as to whether this really is the blind man. Verse nine, some claim that he was; others said, "Nah, he only looks like him." <laughs> Fair enough. They're, they're trying to work out what. What do we do with this? This is extraordinary. A man by the name of C.S. Lewis coined the phrase chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery, it's a great phrase and by it he meant the human tendency to over the years, over the ages and generations, to keep looking back on the previous generations as idiots and and we are better, we are more enlightened, we we are educated, unlike these people back in the day. I've even seen it in my kids, maybe you have too, where They've seen black and white footage on the TV, like you know video footage, but it's black and white, and they go, "Did the world used to be black and white?" <laughs> they seriously think it took like 4K screens and iPhones to bring color into reality. We just think that because we have so much more, we're smarter, that we're also better. I raise this because many people in our day scoff at the Bible's claims of miracles. We know better. We are scientifically enlightened. We've put man on the moon. We have iPhones. We're not like those first century gullible fools who just believed anything they were told. What I want you to notice is that the very first eyewitnesses connected to this event had a hard time believing that a miracle had happened. No, no, it's just someone who looks like him. As you read the Gospel accounts, you'll find that they have the ring of truth. That as you read about these extraordinary things, they really are extraordinary things happening around this man, Jesus, you have people going, what is this? Yes, we haven't put a man on the moon. Yes, we don't have iPhones. But we know that when a beggar who was born blind gets up to go beg for another day, he doesn't come home with 20-20 sight, you know, nailing bullseyes on the dartboard. It, it just doesn't happen. There has been a great healing. But next comes the second part, a greater blindness. Verse 13, they're like, well, what do we do this? How do we make sense of this? They take the blind man to the community leaders, those respected. what is this? What's going on here? And we read there that they are the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees lived extremely moral lives, they were upright, they were respectable, they were the good people, Uh, they were the people who would have volunteered for the SES and most significantly though they knew their Bibles, their Jewish Bible, inside out. And so these people who have experienced this extraordinary thing come to them to have the light of the Bible, the Scriptures brought to bear. Now, we're going to have a look at how the Pharisees engage with this, but I actually want to take you to the conclusion first. I want to show you what Jesus says of these Pharisees. Come over to verse 39, if you've got a Bible, where at the very end of the account, Jesus says, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and I what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. How about that? Jesus pronounces judgment upon the religious, Bible-knowing, church-going people. That they are spiritually blind. That their sin remains. And so friends, churchgoers... Religious people, listen up. How is that? Jesus brings judgment down on the good people, the Bible people, the church people, as spiritually blind. Why? Why does he bring this judgment? Well, in this text I put to you, we see at least three reasons, which means they refuse to come to Jesus as the light. Number one, because of a love For man made religion. Because of their love for a man made religion. Verse fourteen, we learn that this healing has taken place on a Sabbath. So verse sixteen, some of the Pharisees says, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now what's the Sabbath? It's the holy day in the Jewish week, Saturday. Uh, the first two-thirds of our Bible is called the Old Testament, the first five books of that are the Pentateuch, given from God through Moses to the ancient people of Israel about how they were to live as his people, to honour him, worship him and so on. And he does speak about the Sabbath, a particular day, and things that were to be done and not done. But over time, what people did, because this is what people do, they started to add rules to what God had said through Moses. Moses. They started to tweak and to change and to put layer and layer and layer of rules, insisting that it was still God's law, but actually what they had done is created their own religion. It's what humans do. And so Jesus rocks up and he breaks one of their rules, which they're convinced is one of God's rules. He's not from God. We read in Isaiah 29 that their worship back in Isaiah's day and still in Jesus's, became based on merely human rules. They'd become so in love with it, so attached to a particular religion, how it had always been, had they been brought up to think that there was no way they were going to allow someone to come in and challenge that. We must pay attention here. Because if you begin with a world religion, any one of them, as your starting point for connecting to the truth of who God is with spiritual realities, Jesus will not fit into it. Even many versions of Christianity, Jesus will not fit into that established, formal religion. Here's an example of Jesus not fitting into a man-made version of Judaism. There is a God-given version of Judaism which they'd changed, it was supposed to be fulfilled in Christ, but they miss it. And instead of reconsidering their religion, they insist that Jesus is wrong, and so irrelevant. Dismiss him. He's not what I've always thought. Which is why we work so hard here at this church to begin with Jesus as presented in the Bible to teach us about God, spiritual things. We don't start with the formal religion of Christianity. Now some of you might be here and actually subscribe to the belief system of no religion. I don't believe there is a God. I don't believe, well, Jesus won't fit into that system either. And so I'd encourage you, are you willing to let what you've always believed about a particular system to be challenged by Jesus, Are you willing to consider that? Because these Pharisees are spiritually blind because they are so in love with a religion of their own making, which has nothing to do with the one true God. Here's the second thing we see, that seeing does not necessarily equal believing. Verse 18, they still didn't believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? And they go on to say, um, yeah, that's our son. Pretty sure we know who our son is. And uh, uh, yeah, he was born blind. Pretty sure we remember that. Him bumping into everything, him heading off to beg. What I want you to notice, just one little word there in verse 18. They, this is the Pharisees still did not believe that he had been, born, been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents, who went, yeah, that's him, born blind, now sees. These Pharisees don't end up disputing that a radical, powerful, immediate miracle has occurred. This is significant for us because it's not uncommon among our friends and family to hear things like, well, if God would just show up and do something miraculous in my life, something that couldn't be otherwise explained, then I'd believe he's there. Then I'd believe he's powerful. Then I'd follow him. Then I'd consider him relevant. But until then, irrelevant. Well, here's one of a number of examples in the Gospels, the very first place, of people witnessing a powerful miracle, not denying it, not because they're gullible. All the evidence is there to persuade them that it is a miracle and yet they still refuse to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, the light of the world, the Messiah, the Son of God. There is more going on. In fact, John doesn't call these miracles, he calls them signs, which in itself tells you something about what they are. They're not just mere demonstrations of power by this man, Jesus. They're supposed to point us somewhere, away from themselves, to who Jesus is, our desperate need for him and to come to him. It's not simply a matter of weighing the evidence and making rational decisions, As if we're just neutral, objective processes of data. There's more going on and it's darker. It's deeper. It's going on at the level of our hearts, the deepest place of us. A very wise person some 500 years ago said this, what the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, what the deepest part of us loves is drawn to. The will then chooses as right and the mind justifies as just. This is who we are as human beings and it's, it's a powerful thing to own of ourselves. The marketing industry has known this for a long time. In fact, one marketer said this to me, said, You know what, this is how our whole industry works. He says, we know that people make emotional decisions with rational justifications. Marketers know that we make emotional decisions. We're, We're drawn, we're swayed, we're tugged by emotion. Hence all the emotionalism that we then justify paying a whole bunch of money for stuff that we don't need. Marketers know that this is how we are. Jesus says, there is more going on than what you just merely think. The refusal to come to Jesus, even in the face of overwhelming evidence, shows us that this is a deeper, darker issue of our hearts, of the Pharisees' hearts. We'll come back to it. They needed more than just the news of Jesus' power. They needed more. Third thing which sees them... Blind is fear. Look at verse 24. The Pharisees, they continue to interrogate the man and want him to write Jesus off as a sinner. Verse 25, the man replied, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> We're supposed to chuckle at what this guy, this guy is great. This guy is so likable. He, he just says it how it is. He doesn't know much. He's been this poor beggar, blind beggar. Here's what I do know. I was once blind But now I see. And many of us can relate to that, can't we, in our walk with Jesus? We don't know much. We don't know everything. But I do know that I'm a changed man or woman. I do know that Jesus has changed me, that I'm not the man that I used to be. I know I'm not the man that I want to be and long to be, but I know I'm not what I was. Jesus has profoundly changed this man And he begins to see what's going on in these religious leaders. Ah, you're not interested in the truth, he sees. You're actually desperate to dismiss Jesus as irrelevant. Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Hmm. I put it to you that these Pharisees are operating out of fear. Why not go and find out where Jesus came from? Why not go and investigate as to the authority by which he speaks and acts so powerfully? Well, I put it to you for a fear, out of fear, that he is who he actually claims to be. The light of the world the Messiah, the Son of God, which is not the version, the picture that they had. And it can be such a terrifying thing, can't it, to let go of what you've always believed and admit that it's wrong, to actually embrace truth elsewhere. That that can be a very scary thing to do. To admit that salvation, what I thought it was, It's not actually that and it's not where I thought it was. To actually admit that it's elsewhere, that is a scary thing to do. Why? Because it means I'm going to have to admit that I was wrong and it means that I'm going to have to change. Change is scary. The Pharisees won't genuinely seek after the truth. Another reason why Jesus brings the judgment of blindness on them. Now, before we move on, I to—I need to connect this to us because we're not just innocent onlookers here to these religious, blind, stubborn men. They're actually emblematic of the human condition. They are emblematic of you and me. Now, warning, this means facing some hard things, saying some hard things about us, but there's hope. There is hope. And I believe that we actually are better able to face the harder things knowing there is hope. But the Bible is very clear elsewhere outside of this passage, though I take it uh, John, Jesus, is hinting at it here in verse 1, that every single human being is born spiritually blind. Every single human being born spiritually blind. What what is spiritual blindness? Well, can I... Capture it in two things. Number one, it means we fail to see the brilliance of God as he truly is. We fail to see God, the brilliance of him as he truly is. And so secondly, we fail to see the darkness of our own lives, evil as they truly are. It, it's a human condition. It's something that we're born with, and then in time, as we grow, we give fuller and fuller expression to that spiritual blindness. By the way, we reject God, we get God wrong, by the way that we promote ourselves and think that we're great. It's the illustration of the dirt on the hand versus the eye. A speck of dirt on your hand, you don't notice it. It could be a whole bunch on this dull service, doesn't matter speck of dirt in the eye against that sensitive membrane, then you know it. The problem with spiritual blindness, which is the Bible saying getting at our sin to fail to see God and fail to see ourselves, the problem with it is like the dirt on the hand, our life is so full of our sin, we don't even see it, it's just normal. In fact, we're surrounded by people who have the same blindness, and so it's just normal. It's just accepting. But this is a symptom of failing to see God as he truly is. Almighty, glorious, brilliant, powerful, merciful, tender, wonderful. We fail to see him as he truly is, and so we fail to worship him as we ought. We fail to actually be the people that we 're intended to be living under this God, but here 's the thing about spiritual blindness we 're blind that we 're doing it, and so we say there 's no problem. What problem? We have an eye surgeon in our church who flicked me this thing this week. Um, this was really his passage this week. it was his time to shine. And, uh, and he sent me this thing which is very helpful, which I think illustrates what's going on here. Um, it's called Anton's Syndrome. It's a real thing. You could chase it up. This is an article which says, Mr B presented to the emergency department because of, a f- because of frequent falls and an inability to grasp anything in front of him. He could recognise his family by their voices but not by sight. When a pen was put in front of him, he claimed nothing was there and he was unable to see the neurologist's hands waving at him. He was diagnosed with total blindness. However, Mr B was unaware of and unperturbed by his blindness. He vividly described surroundings that did not actually exist. Brain imaging revealed strokes that had damaged his visual cortex. Mr B had a rare condition called Anton's Syndrome, Characterized by denial of blindness. This is intriguing as it combines the most basic failure of visual perception with a complete unawareness of this failure. That's us before God. That is our spiritual blindness. Claiming to see. Claiming to have answers, claiming to know what life is about, claiming to know how to get to God. Demonstrating our blindness. Now lest we think that this is just some unfortunate condition that's happened to us like a stroke, no, 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 the Bible make clear that this is a willful blindness. That we have suppressed the truth of God, true knowledge of God. We've we buried it so down so that we don't have to face it, so that we are then blind to and get on with our lives, living them however we think best, which is typically how our community thinks best. Spiritual blindness is so terrible because one of the symptoms is we refuse to admit it. And so we refuse to get help. Now what's the hope? Intervention. The very same hope that we see demonstrated with this man physically blind. Do you remember I pointed out at the start, it was Jesus who noticed this man in a desperate situation. It was Jesus who sought him out. It was Jesus who restored his sight. Well that initiative continues as we look at the third part and the greatest sight. Have a look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, that is, the Jewish leaders had thrown him out out of the temple, out of the synagogue, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. In this setting, this man worshipping Jesus would have been him bowing down low, flat on his face, in reverence before this man, in honour, gratitude before the the man who has done so much for him, his Lord. Now there is much that this blind man who now sees is yet to understand, much. Much. But this is in part because there's still much to unfold in the mission of Jesus. And you'll see this as we keep working through the Gospel. We'll get to this part in a couple of weeks with Easter. But as we keep turning the pages, we find that Jesus shows the most amazing, love-filled initiative to bring the greatest healing. As he goes to the most horrific death in history as he goes to the city of Jerusalem and is executed by the Romans because of the Jewish leaders. And the other accounts, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the other accounts describe what goes on as Jesus hangs on the cross and darkness comes over the land from midday till three in the afternoon as Jesus is executed. God is signalling in the natural realm something of what is going on in the spiritual. Oh yes, there's physical things going on, but there is so much more than physical. There is profound spiritual things happening because Jesus is dying under the judgment of God. The horror of that we we fail to just appreciate it because we fail to see. The horror of God's judgment upon sin poured out on Jesus. Not for his sin, he had none. Not for his spiritual blindness, he was the only man who truly saw. Why? Because Jesus is dying there in my place. In the place of sinners, in the place of the spiritually blind. So that God might justly, not overlook sin, that wouldn't be just, that would be evil, but might justly punish rejection of God. Might punish the way that we have lived where we've got it upside down, as Isaiah put it. Where we've told the potter how he should run things. God should exist for my life. Jesus goes and he absorbs the punishment fully and finally on the cross. Darkness is what captures that. Because he's destroyed. But Jesus is destroyed in darkness so that you, I, might receive the light of life. That we might be given eyes to see our desperate condition, the way that we've treated God. We've failed him spectacularly. That we might see that we have no hope of making that right. Religion is just stuff that we need to do to make ourselves feel good about a God that doesn't exist. Jesus says you have no hope, which is why in love have come to intervene. Have come to die in your place so that you might see your condition. Do you remember those two words in Isaiah 29 in the reading? They're so beautiful, they jumped out to me. When it cuts to the hope, it's it's the humble and the needy who receive sight. The humble and the needy. Those who set aside their pride saying, I've got this, and go, I've blown it. I've blown it. I've got no. The needy. The people who realise, I can't do this. I need a Saviour, someone from without. And as you would look to Jesus as your Saviour, as you would trust in Him, God would count His death as yours. Punishment fully, finally forgiven that you might actually be able to see God now truly, the brilliance of who he is, and live and worship. Yes, it's scary to change. Following Jesus will mean that, but you will be called into the life that you were made for to live under him. Three days later, God raised him to life, the great miracle, the great sign of the gospel, that this man really is the light of the world. He really has come to restore your sight and so look to him and only him for that. Why is Jesus relevant? Because we have been born in utter darkness and we give expression to that so that apart from him, we'll be lost for eternity. This is what's at stake. Uh, a A few of us are about to head down to the hospital to visit Rod Burke, his family. And I tell you, it's when you sit at the bedside of someone who is about to slip from this world. That's when things become crystal clear. They should anyway. Now we grieve with the family for the suffering that they've been through, but we rejoice that they know, that Rod knows, he is coming into the waiting embrace of a heavenly father that he has had his eyes open and even through great suffering has continued to look to his Saviour. Is Jesus relevant? Is what we do week by week here relevant when the sun is shining? Jesus will have the biggest impact on your life for eternity regardless of how you feel about him. The decisions that you make about him will be bigger than any others. So what are you doing with him? Would you, if you haven't, come to him this morning and say, heal me. Take my sin, give me sight. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Maybe this has been on your heart this morning, maybe it's been a number of weeks or months, but I want to give you the opportunity to repeat this prayer that I'm going to pray for yourself. And so how about we all join in, it's helpful to close your eyes, but if this is you, speak before God. Lord God, I admit and I confess that my life has fallen short of what it should be that I've not honoured you as God, as I ought. I see my desperate need for a saviour and I look to him, your son Jesus. Forgive me by his death. Change me by his resurrection. Might I live the life that you made me to live, worshipping you. And Lord God, for all of those who have come to see, we admit this is your gracious intervention. We praise you for that. We thank you for our spiritual eyes, but ask that you might continue to open them bigger and bigger so that we might see clearer and clearer Jesus as he truly is. That we might be willing to let him change us and shape us and show us where we're wrong because he loves us because he longs for our lives to be what they're intended to be, that he might get the honour that is due. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer this morning, tell someone. Tell someone who brought you, tell me, tell someone who's up here. We would love to encourage you in that. And now stand with us and sing of the amazing grace. You might have heard this song over the years, but, but you could now sing it as your own song, a God who has been so gracious to us to give us sight. Would you stand? The guys will lead us in song.